sports science, strength conditioning, high performance coaching. Welcome to the Decoding Excellence Show. Hey everybody, it is Adam. I want to remind you of one thing. Rather than spamming the show with herbal tea advertisements or performance technology companies coming on trying to sell their latest gizmos, I have opted not to have an advertisement over the last uh, probably 20 shows or so, uh, 20, 25 shows. And the reason I do this is because rather than trying to sell you something, all I would like for you to do, if you support the show, if you're a fan of the Decoding Excellence show, maybe some of the interviews that we've had in the past, some of the monologues that we're having, some of the Monday Minute episodes, please head over to adamringler.com forward slash newsletter. About once a month, I'll send you an email and it will be chock full of really interesting things, research articles, fascinating things I found online, books I'm reading, podcasts that I've enjoyed, articles that I'm writing, things and people that I'm interviewing and exploring. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I promise I won't spam you and it will be something that would deliver a lot of value to your day. Check it out at adamringler.com forward slash newsletter. Hey everybody, I am excited to bring you this Decoding Excellence show with my good friend Matthew Johnson from Butler University Men's Basketball Program. Matthew brings a tremendous amount of experience and wisdom to this show from the various stops that he's had at the high school level, at Montrose Christian School, to the junior college level, all the way from going to from there to George Washington University, and now most currently at Butler University. We talk about the lessons that apply from each various stop that he's had, the way that he's had to change his coaching philosophies and, and tactics and strategies from one level to a next. And we also get into talking about some of the cool and innovative technologies that he's using at Butler University to really drive his decision-making abilities through data and through analytics. You will not wanna miss this show. This was a really fun conversation to have with a coach who really understands and gets the coaching craft. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Butler University's men's basketball strength and conditioning coach, my friend, Matthew Johnson. Coach, welcome to the Decoding Excellence Show. How you doing? I'm doing great, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Hey, man. This has been one I've been wanting to record for a while because I've seen the work that you've been doing online and happen to be the beneficiary of jumping into some Instagram live conversations with you and got to see some of the, uh, the behind the scenes work that you're doing with your guys. So, Hey, I want to, uh, I want to start the show off just in true podcast nature for those that might not be familiar with, uh, with your work here in the United States. Cause we do sort of have, uh, an audience that expands the globe here. Uh, just wanted to kind of give you an opportunity to to share who you are and what you're up to and, and a small little bio, bio uh, about you and behind the coach. Yeah, so um, currently uh, just completed my second season at Butler University. Uh, my role here is just with the men's basketball team. Um, so basically those 14, 15 guys, uh, that's, that's who I'm working with every single day. Um, prior to coming here, I was the director of strength and conditioning at George Washington University. Um, so I oversaw 27 teams, over 500 athletes, had a staff of uh, six individuals. And um, it was a great experience in the nation's capital. Um, definitely uh, took a lot away from that. And then prior to George Washington, I was um, working at the high school level um, at a private school in Rockville, Maryland. Um, called Montrose Christian. And a lot of people uh, know about Montrose because uh, Kevin Durant uh, yeah. went there. Uh, I didn't train Kevin, but um, just an unbelievable stock of uh, high school talent. So um, I think, you know, we had 15 high major players, uh, you know, the years I was there. I was there for four years. And then prior to, uh, to that, I was actually a business owner. Um, I had my own LLC. It was called Strength Coach Concepts. I uh, trained athletes as young as 11 years of age, all the way up in, until, you know, college kids in the, in the summer months. But uh, so my journey has, has been unique where I've, I've touched down in basically every area except professional sport in strength and conditioning. Man, that's crazy. So to go from, you know, business owner, essentially you're the CEO, 
you you facilitate almost every role within the small business, and then you work your way high school to and then to GW, and then eventually here the last two seasons here at uh, Butler University. So you, you've got to see sort of the continuum of everything from private sector to high school to uh, to both you know junior and elite level. Uh, student athletes and within the game of basketball that's fascinating man yeah it's, it's been really fun just in terms of you know believe it or not there's a lot of parallels and there's a lot of lines that I've drawn um, from from every experience along the way uh, where when I was a business owner you have to be great at selling your program where I took that into you know the high school world you have to be really great at selling a high school <laughs> yeah. uh, in terms of the weight room and then um, the budgetary things that I learned, just you know, keeping my own books as a business owner, I took that into my director role at George Washington, and you know that was a, that was a huge part of being a director, just overseeing the budget and um, you know just spending in terms of things we wanted to do and initiatives that we wanted to accomplish. And then um, you know currently at Butler's, you know I, I've been working in basketball for over 13 years, so just collected information along the way and just you know now I'm at the big east level and able to provide the the best of the best with uh, our basketball athletes here. Yeah, no doubt. I think you know a couple of things I want to poke on. Certainly I'm going to uh explore a little of the the business sector and some of the maybe the lessons that you've learned there and how you've had to apply it in different aspects outside of just selling and communications. I think you know whether it is, you know, having to do your own books and and just the business component and then maybe some of the parallels, uh, eventually to you know facilitating and running and supervising, managing a staff at, at GW. But before I get into that, and I you know I wrote that down as a note I want to touch on, but I want to kind of go down the rabbit hole of education, right? So you know, looking through your bio in prep for this, you right we we obviously have a strong exercise science background. Um, as one would expect, you know, being in this profession, kinesiology, exercise science, sports science, all this route. But I want to sort of ask you, uh, maybe selfishly, like, what was it that that pushed you or motivated you to go that route rather than maybe like, you know, if you first started out and you were going into business rather than like a business degree or something else that what what sort of fueled you to go exercise science? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's amazing, you know, um, how people are a product of their environment. And so for me, um, I think coaches create coaches. And um, I was I was lucky to uh, just get into the weight room as a, a young high school athlete. Um, you know, I started in the weight room with my dad when I was 15, just doing the, the Nautilus uh, circuits <laughs> yep. at the YMCA. And that's kind of just where it started. But um, I would probably say for me, it started with failure. Um, you know, I, I, I picked up a basketball when I was six years old and just, you know, started swatting at it like most young kids do <laughs> uh, on, the, on the asphalt. But, um, you know, it started with failure for me at, you know, junior varsity team. I, I did not make as a high schooler. And that just was, was devastating to me. And, uh, the reason I didn't make the team when I asked the coach, it wasn't my skill. It was just, Hey Matt, you weren't strong enough. You weren't fast enough. You know, the other kids were just stronger and faster than you. And so that led me to, um, really just f focusing and, and, and taking my athleticism to the next level. And my dad had a little bit of a background, uh, with weight training and strength training, but uh, he wanted to help me. And there was this guy in our area in upstate New York. I'm originally from Saratoga Springs. His name was Lee Taff. And um, so Lee, a lot of people know him as the speed guy. And at the time, uh, Lee was training athletes out of his garage, his driveway. He, he also had a little small facility in Queensbury, New York. So it was about a 20 minute drive uh, from my house to, to train with Lee. And I, uh, I just fell in love with it, man. You know, just, and I remember just the, 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 the more and more that we, you know, uh, time, the time we spent together, I started thinking, man, this, this guy's job is pretty cool. You know, like I, I, I would love to do this one day. And so, um, I think that's, that's why I dove into it, you know, as an 18 year old, uh, trying to decide what you want to do in college. That's a big decision. And for me, I think I just relied on my passion. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, 
in such a parallel to that, I had very similar experiences, right? Like I wasn't the most successful wrestler in my junior prep days. And then, you know, I was fortunate enough that my dad wasn't necessarily my coach, but knew was, was wise enough to know not to necessarily overstep that boundary from a, a father to a coach and sought out somebody within our sort of local um, area to actually help facilitate some of that coaching. And that's a story that I've heard a lot from people that have sort of, as they sort of backtrack their own sort of coaching genesis and the the beginning of it has been like, oh, wow, you know, like it was born out of failure. It was born out of maybe not being the best at what they do. And then seeking out and finding the weight room through an avenue of trying to, you know, uh, increase their sport uh, skill through that weight room. So I want to, I want to maybe go back even further. So you're, you said you're sort of a product, of, like as most coaches are, of a family that coaches. Like when you mentioned your father being a coach, did he coach basketball or was he just a coach of just a coach of you, coach of other sports? Like because I think that's such a powerful narrative, and I'd love to explore a little bit more about that sort of a, a coach coming from a family that maybe coaches. Yeah, so um, I'm an only child, and my my dad was. Um, a UDT. So he was yeah. in the underwater demolition team in oh, Vietnam. Wow. Um, and so basically that's the team before the Navy SEALs. Yeah. And so he, he grew up in this, uh, you know, as a, as a kid, he grew up in a very, um, I think strict standard and, you know, just childhood. And, and I think that's what led him eventually to the military. So me growing up, I, I constantly had um, standards and challenges and accountability and, um, you know, I just grew up in this, uh, you know, a, a very loving environment, but also uh, very, very strict and, and very demanding at the same time. Um, and it's funny, I, I look back at my childhood, my dad coached almost every single one of my teams uh, <laughs> when, I was grow- when I was growing up. When I was playing soccer, baseball, basketball, my dad was always, you know, those youth teams that you play on as a yeah. youngster. Uh, he was always, always coaching. But what was great was I think he realized, like you just mentioned, I think he realized, you know, he needed to take the back seat. Um, so when it became time um, as a, you know, a high school age athlete, you know, 13, 14, 15, um, he stopped coaching my teams, but he never stopped coaching me at home. Yeah. You know, in terms of just the, you know, the, the fireside talks or just the talks at the dinner table. Um, and even to this day now, you know, I just love my you know, phone calls, you know, just home and FaceTimes home with my dad, like, um, always, always coaching me and, and challenging me to be the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think something in that, that really resonates with me is that, you know, coming from that military background, you said that you were never devoid of, of having high standards and, you know, a very, maybe strict regimen and and discipline about things. And I think what you said also in that is that it was never unloving. And I think sometimes people think that, you know, by having high standards, that it's a cold environment. And I think as we found out, you know, through coaching and really trying to drive the culture of a program, uh, the collectiveness of a, a basketball team, that you can have high standards and still, you know, love the people that you work with. I think you, by you know, loving them, you hold them to high standards and it's not that they're mutually polarized uh, or mutually exclusive. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that, Adam. Like I, I think, you know, the, the, you don't realize what you're learning when you're going through something, right? Um, sometimes it's a genesis and you will, you know, come to those realizations later. Mm-hmm. But um, what I've learned is accountability is love. Yeah. You know, somebody in your life uh, that's in your corner, and, you know, they're, they're celebrating your success, but they're also there and they're, they're telling you, Hey, um, you know, you, you need to step up. You need to do better. Um, I need more, you know, discipline or commitment out of you. Um, I, I think that are in your life for a certain reason. And obviously they love you very much. Yeah, no doubt on that. And what a great, like serendipitous opportunity that you had growing up where you were to, uh, you know, be a stone's throw 20 minute drive away from, 
you know, Lee Taff, <laughs> like, you know, there's people that would love to train with industry giants that would drive miles and miles and hours away. And here you are as a, you know, a young athlete and you get to train with, you know, one of the nation's best. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, it, it was, um, it's funny how it's, it's evolved because at the time I remember Lee was really just starting up yeah. you know, and, and Lee was becoming a name and he was talking about the plyo step and people were, you know, hey, you know, the track world was going crazy. And um, now it's, 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 it's been really enjoyable because we've gone on this journey together um, where the relationship started, you know, when I was an athlete and he was coaching me. Now it's just, you know, coach to coach and we still stay in touch. He's actually here in Indianapolis. So it's funny how we've reconnected uh, recently. Yeah, no doubt. So you, you come out of school, right? We get out of this and, you know, we go through our educational years. Um, and then, so is that the next step leaving essentially that the business world or do we go further? Do we jump into anything else? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think uh, the, the the thing for me that was, was, I think it was, uh, it was, positive for me where I realized I did not want to do something clinical um, where typically the undergrad exercise science uh, track sends you. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, where um, I did an internship with Johnson and Johnson and it was basically just an exercise testing lab, um, you know, running people on VO2 max tests, uh, testing albuterols, inhalers. Basically. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, you just realize like, yeah, this isn't for me. <laughs> um, and so that just, you know, that sent me into more of the practical side. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So at that point in time, you know, you, you go on, you've, you've done this master's degree, um, and graduate what 2009 ish right around there. Yes. Yeah. And then, so during that time, did you have opportunities to work with maybe collegiate athletes and sort of dip your toe into like, this is, man, I like this coaching thing. I, I've, I've learned about extra science through, through my undergrad. Now I'm at grad school and I'm, I'm, I'm learning more about this, uh, sort of describe or talk a little bit about those, you know, maybe pivotal two years or so. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, I think those, uh, those years looking back at it, it's like, you know, they, those were the initial bricks, right? Those, yeah. those are the foundational years. And, um, it, it was hard, you know, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was, uh, you know, just limited, limited hours of sleep every <laughs> night and, uh, early mornings. And, um, you know, it was, it was great for me because I, I found my love and that was just being on the weight room floor and just coaching athletes and just, the relationship side, um, you know, I, our, our graduate program at Bridgewater State was very, uh, you know, very relationship driven. It was small, tight knit. Uh, Dr. Ellen Robinson, she was the chairperson of the department. And basically anybody that was in the concentration major of, of strength conditioning, you had to uh, be a TA. And, uh, there was all these undergraduate, uh, you know, weightlifting courses and, and, uh, you know, activity classes. And, and she allowed us just the, you know, the, the responsibility to take those and run with them. And, uh, so that's where I started coaching. And then I was, was lucky enough to get on board at Boston college with coach Russ DeRosa. Yeah. And that was just early mornings. You know, I remember, <laughs> you know the alarm clock would go off at three forty-five. And I had to be in, um, you know, I was living in Bridgewater. So it was about a, you know, 40 minute drive into Boston around Chestnut Hill area. And, and men's hockey was training at 5 a.m. Wow. So I, had, I had to be in there at around 4.30 and start setting up. And, you know, I think, I think that when you're going through it, right, you're, you're, you're like, man, this stinks, you know, yeah. you know and you're tired and you're, and you're grouchy and, and, um, but looking back, back at it, you know, um, those years were so important for me because they built calluses Yeah, and, and those calluses, you know, the, the, you know, that's a sign of strength and you need a lot of strength to persevere, you know, the long hours, the early mornings in this profession. And I'm glad that I went through, you know, the early mornings and the long days at Boston college and juggle grad school, because that helped me build calluses to persevere all the, you know, all the, all the diversity and sacrifices that you have to make in this, in this profession. So to bridge on top of that, 
you know, so we go from that and anybody that's gone through, you know, graduate assistant programs or volunteering, interning, being on the floor, <laughs> limited sleep, long, long days, right? We all started from that sort of point in time. But like to take those experiences and those literally like soulful calluses and then to go on to GW where you're in charge and you're, you know, not only of a staff, of a program and the demands. I mean, what lessons did you learn or, you know, it, not necessarily advice, but like the resiliency that you learned from those early days of grinding it out? Did you have to apply at GW? Yeah, you know, it, it's um, it's funny. I, I, I would probably say I, I drew two parallels, one for my father, just, you know, accountability is love. And so I, I, I held my staff accountable, um, because I, I, I love them and I, I cared about their growth and development. And, you know, I also pushed them. And yeah. I think that that was the, the main thing for me, just the, the light bulb moment where, um, I'm glad I didn't have mentors and I'm glad that people early on in my career didn't enable me and just uh, allow me to be naive with what this profession is all about. Um, they, they were filled with that real talk, right? They kept yeah. it real with me and they just told me how it, how it was going to be. And they put me through the ringer and uh, you know, I became this stronger coach, I had this stronger minded individual. And I was able to just, you know, every step of the way, whatever door opened for me, I was able to open it and step in and and uh, and run it and and uh, and so with my staff, it you know um, they would probably say that I uh, that I pushed them, um, that I that I gave them the responsibility to take things and and run with it. Like where programming, for instance, I never told them what exercises to do. Um, they, as a staff, they developed the annual plan. They did the needs analysis. They spoke to their coaches. Um, and we would have, you know, biweekly, monthly meetings just to kind of discuss where they were at and where they were progressing with their teams. But I didn't want to handcuff them. Yeah. I wanted them to go out on their own and and run it. And and that that that's the thing where um, you know, with failure comes growth. And so with some of those, uh, you know, situations, yeah, you know, there was, there was some things that they had to learn and, and just like myself, you know, there was some things that I did wrong or I could have done better. And, and you don't do that if you don't, you know, grab it with mm -hmm. your own two hands and, 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 and run with it and do it yourself. So, um, I just wanted them to be them. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, it's, it's just so rewarding now. Um, you know, just seeing where they've gone in their career. And, and we just recently had a kind of like a Zoom reunion, um, just connecting with, with everybody on the old staff. That's awesome. Like, you know, they, uh, they, they brought that up. They were like, yeah, you know, MJ, you pushed us, but we always knew you cared about us. And, and you know, that, I think, was the, the thing they appreciated the most. Yeah, I, I want to spend a little bit more time on this because it's, I, I think it's powerful. But like, so you spend five years there, Right. And what I, I have a feeling I might know how you're going to answer this, but just to crystallize it, maybe selfishly, just so I can hear it so that like it, it again, it resonates with me a little bit. But like, what are what are you most proud of when you look back on your time there? Like if I were to be like, what what is uh, what was the legacy that you left behind that you could look back and point to, you know, metaphorically and be like, I'm really proud of of this or I'm really proud of that or you're like what? What do you walk away from that five-year stretch of time that you're just most proud of? Yeah, I, I think um, you know. We'll look, when I look back at GW, um, I'll never forget the first day I walked in on my interview, and I saw the weight room, and you know, I, I kind of viewed a place that you know, it, you know, man, this place could really, you know, be special. Yeah. And in five years, we, we added more staff, we added technology, we added weight rooms, we added performance dining. And so we, we added all these resources for the athlete and we created a, a community. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that's the one thing I, I, I'm, I'm proud of the most is, is we, it, it wasn't about just one team, right? It, it was about 
GW athletics and the success of all the sports within GW athletic athletics. And that, that meant something to all of us. And, um, you know, for example, the, the performance dining, the training table, it just evolved from this, this, uh, little mini buffet that <laughs> we started putting out at 6am just with scrambled eggs and, and bagels. And it, it, it morphed into this full, you know, make your own waffle, yogurt parfait, um, you know, chicken sausage and, and uh, hash browns and scrambled eggs, you know, just buffet. And it, it, it just here's the thing that I, I love the most about that. What we did is is we started seeing athletes hanging out with other athletes. Yeah. And we had all, we had this room filled with all round tables. Right. And just the cross pollination, you know, you had volleyball athletes sitting with basketball athletes and basketball athletes sitting with soccer, and baseball. And, and that's what it's all about, right? Just, just creating a high performance culture. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm proud of the most. Yeah, man. So to bridge on top of that, right, we go from, you know, essentially being the catalyst that binds everybody together, the the six person staff that you're overseeing at at GW, 27 different varsity athletic programs, to now where you've been, right? The last sort of two years here where you've been at Butler and now it's not the onslaught of student athletes that you have. It's much smaller team dynamic size, much more uh I don't always want to say it's much more individualistic because, you know, you can still individualize for a lot of larger teams, but it, it just becomes a, a little bit harder when the scale is at the extreme edge of it. So the last two years, let's let's dive into a little bit of this, right? And I, I want to start with the the lessons, the positive ones, the things that you've immediately been able to apply and roll over from your experiences at the high school level to GW, now GW, the, the, maybe the, the small handful of things that you immediately day one could walk through the door and say, okay, this is the lessons that I learned here and I'm applying it to the athletes that I'm now working with. What, what would you say those are? Yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, from, from a high school, uh, standpoint, you know, I, I saw directly how just in terms of the youth developmental culture of, of just basketball at the high school level, um, you know, athletes were were getting this high level of competition right, with AAU and, and summer leagues. And even the high school season was was getting extended and this low level of preparation. And yeah. so um, all the it kind of it, it made sense because I knew what I was getting in terms of an incoming freshman athlete, yeah. right? And probably what they've, they've been lacking and nine out of 10 are lacking that just training age and, and formalized training in the weight room. And so um, I, I think I know exactly what they need in terms of, you know, yes, they are elite on the court, but they are very amateur in the weight room. Yeah, and so I, I would say the high spending time in the high school world directly showed me that. Where um, GW, you know, the, the the one thing that has helped me out in terms of uh, my time here at Butler is, um, as a director, you have to be great um, just in terms of your conversations and your and your interactions with the head coaches. Yeah, and. Um, I think what I've, you know, this, this, I've figured out over the course of my career is that basketball coaches or coaches in general, they focus on, um, kinematics. They evaluate by just seeing the sport, right. Where strength and conditioning coaches, we evaluate in a large part of what we do is, is very data driven and very driven by tests and measures. So how can we take those two, um, you know, areas and better communicate because now we know what, what coaches are looking for and how they communicate. Right. And so for me here now at Butler, like I love sitting in the, um, the development uh, talks with the, the, the basketball staff and just being a fly on the wall and listening, like, what a player needs and what they need to improve on. And then my wheels start turning because then I start thinking of, 
uh, different tests, different measures that we can employ, but also different exercises and programming strategies to improve those. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's two things I want to touch on on that, that I think just would benefit all strength coaches or performance coaches is that, you know, and I, I recognize not everybody will have the capability or the scale in their hours of the day to be able to do this. But one of the things that's really helped me was just being able to sit in on film uh, with the two teams that I service here at Colorado and be able to watch and see and start to learn what the coaches are looking for kinematically and, and somewhere technically, tactically, just so that I can, again, understand their verbiage and their uh, vernacular so that when I have these guys in the weight room as well, that I'm using the same language that they're familiar with, right? And mm -hmm. so that's been a huge thing. But then to go back, right, and you were talking about maybe the differences of how we see things, right? The, the coaches have a tendency of potentially seeing with their eye, their coach's eye of, you know, how they move and why they move and the position of where they're at. And we have a tendency as strength coaches to be more qualitative and, and, uh, or quantitative and, and more measured base. And it's like, I look at it in the same way that, you know, there's pros and cons to the, any type of combine testing, right? There's some, there's a camp that will usually say, Hey, yeah, they got terrible numbers, but you know what? They can play ball. So we're going to still, we're going to, we're going to still get them. Right. And then there's other times where like, yeah, they've tested out their, their testing numbers are insane, but yo, he can't play, you know, like, so it's like, well, exactly. you can't make the argument for both sides of this. Like if it's a, you know, like, so we're, what we're talking about is transference at that point. Like maybe the, maybe the tests don't transfer. So then let's sit down together and measure things that actually do transfer. And it sounded like within that conversation, you know, of what you just shared is that that allows you, enables you to look at and hear and see things the coaches say and say, hey, maybe we can measure things a little bit differently. Maybe there is a test that we can use that actually transfers better to on-court performance. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's the the most exciting part of what I'm doing here at Butler is just the the day-to-day -day work with the coaching staff and just taking the back seat and just learning and I think getting outside my comfort zone because it, you know, like I said, it, I played, I grew up playing basketball, but in terms of um, the level of knowledge that they have in terms of evaluating the game, seeing it and improving it is something that is, is, is improved me as a strength and conditioning coach, just by improving my knowledge of that. Yeah. So I, I started with maybe the lessons that you successfully applied from GW coming out here, but what are maybe some of the, and it is sort of a, a, a painful topic sometimes, but like, what are the, the things that you've had to a, either adapt very quickly after, uh, after getting there, or maybe some of the things, challenges, limitations, roadblocks, hurdles, whatever we might want to call them that you recognized early that you were like, Ooh, I'm going to have to make some modifications to the way I was either thinking, the paradigms, the heuristics that I had. I might need to adapt to be successful in this position now. Yeah. Um, in my, my first summer, I, I treated that as I ba like I basically had 15 freshmen. Yeah. And uh, what, I, what I have traditionally done is, you know, you have an incoming group and that program is different. And then you have a returning group and that that program is obviously different mm -hmm. and you always have to meet the athletes where they are. But I knew I had to start from uh, basically block zero yeah. and, and really emphasize uh, the, the, the main pillars of, of my program. And I would probably say the top of the list there is quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. So just getting everybody moving uh, at the same mastery level, in terms of uh, anything they do in, in the weight room, I think is is key. And now, now we can start loading um, those athletes safely because the mobility is there, the stability is there, the, the positions are there. Um, so it, it took, um, you know, I think a little bit of convincing because I had some athletes that were, were juniors and they had been doing formalized strength and conditioning for a couple of years. But um, I, looking back at it, I'm so glad we did that because my second offseason with the group, we were able just to take it to the next level um, because we kind of moved those, those smaller stones, right, before yeah. moving the bigger ones. 
And um, I think in, in future years, other settings, like I, I had not done that. And so um, I think, you know, now is, you know, I have my, I have my boxes that I want to check. I have my standards. I have my high emphasis on movement quality and, you know, getting everybody to move in that framework is really important to just long-term success in your program. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think even with that, I've felt the challenge that I've had, I think, as I've gone on continuing to coach is is more so a personal one, not necessarily an environmental one. And that is to continue to try to be patient because mm-hmm. I found myself lately, maybe not lately, but yeah, but lately where I'm, I'm wanting to rush the process in some respects where I'm wanting to I, uh, take our freshmen and get them catched up to our, you know, sophomore young junior group. And then our higher, like our, our higher junior senior group. And I, and I, I feel this internal turmoil of wanting to just, ah, I just want to push <laughs> a little bit more. And yeah. every single time that I've made the decision to say, slow down, let's start at like a block zero. I've never not regretted it or I've never regretted it, right? Like I've always been like, damn, that was worth it. I'm so glad I do it. But then yet I forget that when I'm in the moment on the floor, when I'm feeling the pressure of wanting to accelerate and push down on the gas pedal and do it. So it's those lessons of just trying to pause and and remember like, Adam, like you've never regretted starting slower and starting more basic and starting more primitive and starting more fundamental and foundational than wanting to push people through. And I think too, like in, in maybe in your case, I don't know if you felt this, but like when I first arrived to Colorado and it's like elite basketball, right? This is your power five or going for a Pac-12 conference. You sort of have that, that, that expectation. You're like, yeah, you know, like I got it. We got to go. We got no time to lose, right? We got to get the, and then like you said, very early on from taking some of the lessons from the high school level, you realize like you might be an elite basketball athlete, but you are not an elite mover. You're not an elite in your preparatory skills that helps prepare you for your on-court athletics. And you can barely squat with any fundamental, you know, like kinematic qualities. So it's, that's, that's some of the things that you've just shared really have, have resonated with me. Um, yeah, that's, you know, it's funny if I could just touch yeah. on this, Adam, like I 100% agree with you on that. And I, I think that's the one thing, uh, just from speaking to coaches is that's, that's, that's the skills of a master coach is being able to hit the brakes. Anybody could put their foot on the gas and just go, 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 go. But it's the great coaches. It's the master coaches that have that ability to slow down apply the brakes, take their time. And, um, it's an acquired skill. You know, I can't say that I, I was, I was great at that. You know, when I was the a young MJ, um, started off in this profession, but it's, it's something that you acquire over time is, is that ability just to slow things down, just like you said, and, and apply that break. So I want to take a couple minutes here as well and transition, right? We've talked about movements. We talked about some of the lessons that you've applied from, from GW now at Butler. And, and I want to, I want to pause here because I think you're doing some really innovative things at, uh, at Butler and and particularly with the basketball program that you work with. And I want to just use this as a, maybe a pedestal to talk about some of the, the innovative things that you're doing. So, um, if you don't mind, I'd love to, I'd love to poke around and hear a little bit about some of the things that set in your program apart and some of the, the technologies and tools and resources, the, the techniques that you're getting a lot of bang for your buck out of. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think the first thing I, I would, I would like to touch on is, is what we do in season. And, um, you know, the in season for us is the, the longest uninterrupted training block. And so it, it's something that's very important to me, just in terms of our LTAD, just long-term athletic development of our guys here, where, um, you know, we're, we're, we're pooling our guys, right? And so we basically drop them into different buckets. So we have our A group, um, high minute, players. I mean, those are your workhorses, 30, 30 plus minute a game players, B group, your mid minute, right. Put maybe, uh, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth man on the roster. 
And then the C, C group, you know, those are the low minute, maybe, uh, you know, sit out transfer athletes, uh, you know, typically the athletes, um, you know, that have DMP next to their name yeah. that are just uh, throwing up the three goggles and celebrating <laughs> next to me uh, during the games. But um, and, and so what we do is we have um, I'm a big fan of minimal effective dose in season. Yeah. So our, our sessions are are no longer than 30 minutes. I mean, we're, we're in and out. Um, now the, the frequency at which we train, you know, we're, we're trying to get three lifts in a week, um, at least in some situations four. um, and so, um, those, those pools, those, that a group, the B group, the C group, um, they're all squatting. Right. Right? So we, we set a range, maybe it's four by four, four sets, four reps. The A group is going to squat at 65%. Right. The B group is going to squat at 75 percent. The C group, like I said, they're not playing. Right? Yeah. Um, those are more of our get better guys. Those are, are more of our developmental athletes. They're squatting four by four, 85 percent. So um, it's we're, we're kind of drawn lines, if you will. Right? Yeah. And it's not to hurt feelings, but it's, it's to lo- long term develop our, our athletes over time where. I have, I've had conversations with guys. It's like, Hey man, I'm, I, I'm sorry. You know, I know, I know you want to play. You're not getting that time out there this season, but you know, let, instead of just getting one off season, let's get two off season. Sure. Yeah. You know, let's use this and, and let's get after it and um, try to develop as much as possible. So those C low minute guys, we're working out on the road. We're working out on game day. Um, you know, they're, they're squatting big, squatting heavy. Um, and, and vice versa, you know, with that a group, they're still squatting and anybody that knows about just the body, as long as you're training consistently, you're not going to be sore from doing 16 reps at, at 65%. Right. Um, so just from a culture aspect, right. Uh, everybody's training, everybody's squatting, but they're squatting differently. No. Yeah. 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 I think that's, those are the conversations that maybe that that 18, 19 year old freshman coming in don't often understand is that, you know, like when you're, you're going up to a squat rack and you know, you got the velocity based measurement tools on some racks and other racks they don't. And it's like, well, Hey, you know, like we're, we're a tweener we're right now you're not getting many minutes and, and, um, you know, like this is, this is your off season, you know, like we're, we're, we're preparing you in the event that, you know, the next man up or the next woman up that we need you to be ready. And like developmentally, this is a great phenomenal opportunity for you to continue to get better. And rather than trying to chase, you know, peak velocities or average velocities at a lower load for power production, like, no, I I actually want you squatting a little bit heavier because we need to, we need to change your lean muscle mass and we need to get you stronger and build that foundation where you can be more explosive off of. So that's pretty fascinating. I think just from the way that you manage on a sliding scale, depending on the posi- uh, the minutes uh, allocations that these athletes are having from 85 to 75 to 65, everybody's squatting, but they're just doing it at different percentages of their max. How about, you know, like one of the things that I think I, I sometimes get into this camp uh, when it comes to data and analytics and, and wearable technologies and monitoring, which look, I, I will make no mistake that I am, uh, uh, I will pull no punches that this is an area of fascination for me and something that I'm very passionate about, but you have shared on another, uh, podcast that you're, um, you're utilizing a resource Connexon. I'm familiar with Connexon, and there's been a couple different schools that we've chatted with that's, that's used it. Can you not, not that look, don't, don't make no (laughs) mistake. This doesn't necessarily need to be a sales pitch, but just in a general of like the way that you're using monitoring technologies and wearable devices to capture either the bio demands of the actual sport or the individual demands on different position groups so that you can prepare them. Can you talk through just momentarily, maybe some of your experiences with wearable tech and how that's helping your program? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think the the most powerful thing if we could just stretch the timeline out in terms of you know how we how we how we use this technology is uh, quantifying the demand of the game yeah. and um, if I could just look at a window of October to you know uh, beginning of March you know March 11th or, or, or so 
we had athletes accumulate over 400 miles on the court, all practices and games. We had athletes accumulate over 12,000 jumps. Um, you know, something as small as a little, you know, displacement, one inch jump, like a little coupling jump to yep. those big max effort, you know, range and area rebounds or whatever. Um, we had some athletes over 600 top end sprints, you know, that's a sprint on the court over 13 miles per hour. So I think that's the, the, the thing with basketball is, you know, they're, they're dribbling the round ball and they're moving around out there. And a lot of it is, you know, change of direction based deceleration. And, and that's a part of it, but just in terms of the, the demand, I mean, those are really big eye-opening numbers. And, and so for us, I think it's, um, it's helped us in tr- just terms of, you know, readiness and recovery and helping our coaches understand like, you know, yeah, our athletes are undergoing uh, a lot of stress on the court. And, you know, that's about a five on five and a half month window. We haven't even collected the, the, you know, the, the five on five open gym in the summertime. Right. You know, we haven't even, we're not even talking about the skill workouts. We're not even talking about um, other modes of conditioning and things that they do with me right Mm -hmm. um and so that's been very beneficial and i and i and i'd probably say the 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 biggest thing for us where i know connexon is also used at the nba level where the nba level they they play more than they practice true right yeah where the the college game what's different different about that is we practice more than we play right so for us like we, um, I think, are, we totaled about 105 practices this season. Uh, we had 33 games. So the, the majority of our stress on our athletes is on those practice days. So sure. how can we better plan and, um, and, and, and progress our athletes and stress our athletes on those, those practice days, right? And I think that's where the difference between winning and losing lies is can we better be better on those days to prepare to play? And because of it, we'll be better on game day. I think somewhat, you know, like you hear coaches talk quite a bit about, you know, I need to be game ready and we got to work our way into game shape. And a lot of that's, you know, without objectively quantifying what game shape is, right? What number of sprints, what velocities people need to hit, what type of workload, IMAs, change of directions, excels, decels, right? Like a lot of that is just feel that a coach might have over 20, 30 years of coaching basketball. But when we start to equip and you start to enable coaches to, uh, you know, be able to focus in that subjective eye through quantifiable numbers, it only helps strengthen the argument that, uh, you know, the biases, the positive biases or perceptions that they have within their own coach's eye. So like, you know, sometimes people like to say, oh, you know, it's, again, a very polarizing camp that, you know, I'm a see it type of coach or I'm a numbers data type of guy. And I'm like, look, if we marry the two of them, how much better would we all be when we can start to rely on ourselves based on, you know, zeroing in with the numbers that we have from each practice to practice game to game. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I should include this. It, everything we're doing on the, the the data front, it wouldn't be possible without our head coach. Oh, no doubt. I mean, and I think that is, is a very important part of using high performance technology is the sport coach that you're working with. And our head coach here, I mean, we've created a drill master list you know, from high, medium, and low in terms of load um, and on every, any given day. So, for example, if we prescribe uh, practice tomorrow as a moderate day, he knows he has 500 to 750 units to work with. So he could pick any drill on that drill master list, but it has to be in that in that load range or that load parameter. So he plans practice based off of it. I mean, it's, it's it just, it's just great to work with, um, such a open-minded growth mindset individual, um, as him. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny, Adam too. Like it's, it's, it's like almost like uh, data mining is like gold mining, right? Like yeah. you're, you know, if you watch that show on discovery channel, like there's just, you know, mounds of, of soil and dirt that they've sifted through and they just have collected a few filaments of like 
gold in a few nuggets. And so, you know, year one here of utilizing it, like we've collected things, but I, I, I'm not going to say that we've collected like, you know, you know, 25 different things from the data so far. Um, and I think for, for me, uh, in terms of just my evolution working with technology, that's the biggest thing I've learned is um, when I first got, you know, technology in the past, it was like, oh man, this is going to tell me so much stuff. I'm like so excited, you know? And then you realize like, man, like I really have to work at this and I have to sift through a lot of data. I have to mine through this stuff to, to really figure out some good nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people think when they, you know, sign that, that agreement, that purchase order, that it's immediately going to come, you know, and solve all their problems and what they've, I think quickly will find out is that in some respects it will create more problems and not that they're bad problems. They're just problems like then, Oh man, I got to think about this different or how am I going to do X, Y, or Z or logistics? Or I didn't know I was going to sign up for all this extra work. I got to clean this data. I have to trim it. I have to do this now. And then it's just there. I have to actually, you know, uh, in, interpret it a little bit to make meaningful ideas and changes. Yeah. That, that, that comes par for the course. Um, but that's how you get that data driven insight. I want to I want to respect your time. I know I've I've stolen almost an hour and there's so many different gems in this, but I want to kind of yeah, not do a I feel like it's campy to do like a, a focus round of questions, but I do like if if these guys resonate with you a little bit, feel free. I'd rather have great quality depth in our in some of these questions, but I get a lot of people that will DM me after a show that are young coaches, graduate assistants or interns. And they're like, you know, this is all new to them. This is their, this is their world that they're right about to inherit and step into as a junior coach. And sometimes what I get from them is, you know, like they ask me, like, what advice would you give to a young coach about ready to enter the field? And I love that question. And I'm, I carry my own biases and I answer it in my own particular ways. But if you had a junior coach and they DM you or they, uh, they reach out to you and they say, you know, like, Hey, well, what advice would you give me? What, what would be your default or at least general advice that you'd give a young coach just about to, to take his first job? Yeah, no, I, I think, um, I always use this example. It's a sneaker example and you know, the sneaker might look cool but it's got to fit. And yeah. that's, that's what training programs are, right? So um, you might see something on, on the shelf and it's like a really flashy, cool looking shoe. And then you ask the person, hey, do you have a size 12? And they go in the back and, ah, no, we're out of that. <laughs> well, you can't, you, can't, you can't get it, right? And so I think that's the biggest thing is uh, uh, my word of advice to young coaches is, you know, learn and on and be on this pursuit for knowledge and, and growth. But when you're learning, filter, you know, there's almost like this filtration process that has to occur and think to yourself, will this fit? Will this fit with the coaching staff that I'm working with? Will this fit with my athletes? Yes, this is some flashy, really cool looking stuff, but can I apply this with my athletes and, and my sports that I'm currently working? Yeah, I think that's such great advice because a lot of the times I, I feel like people sometimes go out and they want to chase a particular logo or school or geographical location. But what doesn't often uh, register in their uh, assessment of that is, is this the right fit for where I'm at in my career? Are these people that are going to help enable me to become a better version of myself to hold me accountable? And will it give me the tools and the resources to be successful when I transition from this position onward? Or am I stocking fridges and doing the grunt work that doesn't help develop me as a coach? Mm -hmm. uh, I want to wrap up with this question because I think this is something, this is a selfish question, something that I've, I uh, constantly uh, question to myself and, and ask other people, but when you start to feel overwhelmed or unfocused or, you know, for whatever reason, a loss of focus, what do you do to disconnect? Yeah, I, I love the outdoors. Um, I, I love just, um, going on a hike with my fiance and just, you know, you, you kind of feel this sense of solitude, right. And peace when you're in the woods. I don't know. I don't know no. what it is. But um, I just, whenever I want to just kind of disconnect and, and get away from it all, 
um, we go on a hike and it's, it's obviously great, um, alone time with her, you know, where, you know, there's a lot of travel and there's a lot of, um, you know, opportunity in this. So it's, it's good one-on-one time with her where we can just talk about life and just other things, non-strength conditioning related, but yeah, I just, you know, I just, I love, I love, um, you know, the outdoors and just hiking. So I, I'll link to this next response in the show notes here, but for everybody that has made it through this show and either have questions or want to reach out and see some of the innovative things that you're doing with Butler basketball, where can people contact you or find you on social media or elsewhere? Yeah. So I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram. My, uh, my handle is strength coach MJ. Okay. And, um, I, you know, I try to, I, I love it, um, as a platform to connect as well. So if you send me a DM, I always respond, um, and, uh, would love to get on the phone. It's, it's the, the fellowship is something that I love and just paying it forward to other coaches is something I enjoy as well. Will do, man. I'll make sure that I include it in our notes here. And, and like always, man, thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to wrap with you and, and pick your brain and ask some selfish questions, but also ask some things about your unique journey and, and how you got to where you are. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks so much, Adam. Awesome, man. Hey, everybody, that's going to be a wrap for this episode of the Decoding Excellence show. This was a blast to have this conversation with Matthew Johnson from Butler University Men's Basketball. We get into talking about a lot of things in this. And I think if you're listening acutely to the lessons and some of the things that he's had to share about the various stop that stops that he's been at, you can very easily take some of these lessons away and apply it to your own coaching journey. Whether it's about having high standards or being tough and, and really caring about your athletes and having that uh, having those philosophies that is athlete-centric, I think you'll really resonate with the conversations that we've had. And I hope you have enjoyed them across the entire interview that we had with what is otherwise an excellent practitioner, an excellent strength and conditioning coach, but also an excellent human. You can check him out at uh, his social media contact. I will post that below. And like always, thank you so much for supporting the Decoding Excellence show. We couldn't do it without you. The whole reason this show exists is to give you guys the tools, the tactics, the techniques behind world-class performers. And Matthew Johnson is definitely one of those guys and gals out there. He is a truly world-class performer. I wanted to thank him for coming on. And as always, there's a number of different ways that you can support the show, right? The first thing is I have a monthly newsletter that goes out. It is located at adamringler.com forward slash newsletter. And like I said in the intro, it is chocked full of great articles, research papers, um, sort of daily notes, things I'm finding fascinating and experimenting with and being a human guinea pig with to try to change my own behaviors, my own habits, but to ultimately to really try to improve my life and get something a little bit more meaningful out of it. So uh, head over to adamringler.com forward slash newsletter, pop in your email, and I promise you, you'll get the welcome email and you'll start receiving those monthly updates and you won't regret it. I'm not gonna send you a bunch of spam messages or anything like that. I really think that you'll get a lot out of it and, uh, and check it out. I get questions every single time we publish either an article or the latest update to the Decoding Excellence show. And the question I often receive is, how do I support this show? Well, we have a new way that the audience and the crowd and everybody else here can support the Decoding Excellence show. Head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Adam Ringler. It's actually not buying me a coffee. I know the name sounds sort of uh, confusing or misleading, if you will. But what it is, is it's a, a platform, sort of a crowdsourcing way of, uh, of donating to the show. And the idea is that you would donate a coffee, right? $5, $4, or whatever, 
to the Decoding Excellence show. And what we do with this is we turn the proceeds directly over to supporting the hosting of the Decoding Excellence show on whether it's on Spotify or on Simplecast or iTunes and elsewhere. And it, it supports the hosting fees for our website and the Decoding Excellence uh, Decoding Excellence show. So if you want to support the show, you can buy me a coffee. You can buy seven coffees. You can buy yourself a coffee. Otherwise, please head over, check it out. It is buymeacoffee.com forward slash Adam Ringler. I'll include it in the show notes. And as always, thank you for supporting the Decoding Excellence show.